Copper Shores Community Health Foundation is excited to announce its Community Recreational Facilities and Resources Request for Proposals is back. We have $100,000 marked for this and can't wait to see what our community does with it. Previous projects include improvements to trails in Copper Harbor, Chassel, Calumet, and more, improved facilities in Lots, Covington, and Greenland Sled Hills, and at the mouth of the Gratiot River, and creating more accessible recreational opportunities at the beach in Ontonagon. The deadline is March 11th. Learn more at coppershores.org grants. Welcome back to segment two of Copper Country Today. I'm Todd Van Dyke. Glad that you're along this morning. Our program is brought to you by the Copper Shores Community Health Foundation. You can learn more about them at phfgives.org. No, that's the old one, isn't it? Coppershores.org. Especially since I've got people from the organization here in the studio. I, I have trouble at my age accepting new things. And today is my birthday as we air this. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. I'm 68 years old, so I'm starting to get those... My, my cousin didn't call them senior moments. He called them wisdom overloads. Oh, I like that. So, Rachel Lampa is here. Virginia Lambert is here. They are from Dial Help, which is, and I need to do the disclaimer, part of now the Copper Shores organization that uh, sponsors the program here. And we're here to talk about something that was just rolled out recently. It had been in the works for quite a while. It's an expansion of some services that Dial Help had been offering for some time, but it formalizes and brings them out. This is the new Child Advocacy Center that is uh, going to be operating here in the Copper Country. Uh, Virginia, what is a Child Advocacy Center? Well, Todd, the first thing I'm going to say is that we did roll out the Child Advocacy Center in 2020, of course, during the pandemic, um, but we just recently got accredited. So that's the, the big difference. Okay, so, we've so been that's, doing these... that's what's happened. Because I, I knew you'd been providing many of these services, but it hadn't really been formalized to kind of into, in, into what we have now. Correct. So. Yep. And we didn't have the accreditation. We're the first ones in the UP to be accredited by the National Children's Alliance. So it's kind of a big deal. We're having our um, grand opening slash ribbon cutting on Thursday the 29th. Okay, and uh, are people invited to that? Let's. Uh, yep, that they, I'm sure that um, Michael has been advertising it um, on our <laughs> Facebook pages and whatnot. But Where will it be and what time? Um, it's up at the Portage Plaza. Uh, next to Festival Foods, and okay. it's between 11.30 and 1 o'clock. All right, so we encourage people to go there, and uh, you can find out for yourself exactly what a child advocacy center is. Let's talk then about what the child advocacy center does. We get calls from our law enforcement and CPS after a child makes a disclosure of sexual abuse or um, extreme physical abuse, and then we set them up with one of our forensic interviewers. Virginia is one of those. And then we have um, Chrissy Martins as our other forensic interviewer. Um, and we have advocates. I'm one of the advocates. Um, uh, the family will come in for their interview. We have a nice, comfortable um, living room slash toy room. It's, it's really set up in a comfortable way for the family. Um, in the past, interviews like this for these children would be done in a police station with officers. You know. That can't be optimal. Right, right. As you would guess, that would be um, very scary for a child yes. who's already talking about something uncomfortable yeah, and traumatized. traumatizing. Yeah. Yes. So um, we try to make them comfortable and um, fill out their paperwork and such. And then um, the parents are able to have a 
time with the officers and CPS and ask any questions that they might have. And then the child's brought back with the interviewer and our forensic interviewers are highly trained. They know how to work with children. They're dressed in like maybe, you know, a sweatshirt and jeans and just a comfortable atmosphere. They get to pick their chair and we have a nice round chair that swivels and the kids get excited and they have fidgets that they can play with and a weighted blanket and just a nice comfortable space for a child to have to talk about something very uncomfortable and traumatic. Yeah, talk to me, uh, uh, Virginia, about what you do as a forensic interviewer. What is that? Sure. Um, we take the children back and we do the interview in place of like the police officers or CPS. Okay. Um, they are watching in another room um, and it's being recorded for our prosecutor. And at that point, um, we can turn it over to the prosecutor and the police um, have the copy. But um, yeah, we, we're in there with the kiddos and we it's all child-led, so there's no leading questions. Um, and we just let them talk about their experience and, you know, well, why, why did you come to here today? Most of them have a reason that they know that they're there. Yeah. And we just kind of open it with that and they're able to talk about what happened. We clarify things. We meet halfway through um, the interview with our team again. We just tell the, the kiddo that we'll be right back. You know, we're going to take a break. We'll give you a moment to think about anything that you might want to tell me that I didn't ask. Um, and then we go meet with our MDT, which is multidisciplinary team. Um, so that includes the prosecutor, the, um, gosh, the prosecutor, law enforcement, and CPS. And um, so we'll go in there, we'll ask, you know, is there anything that you want me to clarify more for you? Because sometimes, you know, they pick up on something that we didn't quite get. And so can I interrupt yeah, you for one sure, minute? Because ahead. I think for us, it's very obvious what's going on. But one piece that we might have missed for the people listening is that those people are in another room that the child has never seen. Um, and they're watching this um, on a monitor. And that way that the child never, they just get to tell this experience one time. Yeah. They're watching it live in the other room. And then... Um, the law enforcement and the prosecutor can watch this later on a flash drive if they need to. So that's why she says she goes and asks them because they're actually watching it in another room where the child has never seen them. Because I've seen on TV, they have interviewers who have little ear fobs <laughs> in and they talk to them, you have to ask them this and ask them that. Uh, you don't have that level of sophistication with this? Well, we do. Do um, you really? Yes, we do. But we don't choose to use it most of the time. Um, they We really like the kids to be able to lead the questions. Um, and our partners, law enforcement and CPS, feel very comfortable with us coming in and just ch checking if we missed anything. Um, okay. Because it, it can get a little distracting, get distracting for the child um, to see that you have an earpiece in. <laughs> um, we're very transparent. When the child comes in, we make sure that they know that they're being tape recorded or not, it's not tape recorded anymore. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm aging myself here. Um, but that it's being um, recorded and then... Uh, they see all the cameras in the room. We have three different ones, so there's different angles, so they can kind of watch the child's demeanor um, as the questions are being asked. Um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It must be a very delicate process because children are so easily led and easily influenced, I think, in so many cases, that if you cross that line, as you've mentioned, uh, with a question that's leading a little bit, um, they may just nod and go along with you. If even it, it must be really tough to get right down to the truth. 
Mm -hmm. It is. And that's why I continued training and peer reviews as part of the forensic interviewers, um, just ongoing education. We have other interviewers um, throughout the state that are more advanced, watch our interviews, give us pointers. Um, but of course, the family has to sign off and approve of, you know, that peer review. So we don't just show anybody their videos. It's, it's something that's signed off and the family knows that you know another uh, another interviewer would be watching it and privacy and, and confidentiality has Absolutely. to be a big part of this and I, I think that's one thing that you know as, as I come into a, a discussion such as this we never hear about these problems publicly and one of the reasons is we don't report them I mean even if we found out about them here at, as journalists we're not going to put a child at risk mm -hmm. by reporting a story such as this unless it's just uh, unbelievably heinous and criminal uh, and even then we would do everything we could to protect a child's identity um, there so there are really good reasons that you never hear about what goes on mm -hmm. in this section of law enforcement on the other hand I suppose it puts us at risk of thinking that this kind of thing doesn't happen very often because we don't hear about it right. it's out of sight out of mind how often do you go through this process well, since we've opened, we've done over 150 child interviews. So over how? Since, since 2020? 2020. But we only had three that year because of the pandemic. So Okay. Yep. But that uh, still breaks down to well, one every couple of weeks? Uh, we, we usually have a couple of week now. A couple of yeah. week? Mm -hmm. yeah, and, and what does this entail? And again, I don't want specifics or stories or children right. or anything like that. But what kind of stories do you hear? I didn't realize that was such a question. <laughs> well, um, s stories that are heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Story some stories that are hard to shake off. I'll bet they are. Yeah. I'll bet they are. You look at a child, and, and uh, you know, the children are supposed to be innocent and mm -hmm. and, and growing up in playful situations, yeah. and it's just terrible mm -hmm. that some of them have to go through the things that yeah. they do. Yeah, and part of our services is that we have in-house counseling. We're able to offer support services. Um, we have a craft night for kids that have gone through our services that they can um come together and build relationships with other kids who've gone through the same kind of situation. We have um, coming up in May, we're starting a book club um, where adult victims and secondary victims can uh, read a book and our books are going to be excellent books and they'll get to come to a safe place and discuss a great book and um, just be together and they're kind of healing journey together. Um, that's going to be a cool thing. But we have resources that kind of, you know, are, us advocates are able to walk through um, the process, go to court with them, um, different things like that. And so, yeah, these cases are sad and heartbreaking, but to be able to offer support to people, sometimes just listening to them on their hard day is what they need. And so... I mean, we're, we hope we're making a difference. Talking with Rachel Lampa and Virginia Lambert from Copper Shores Dial Help, the new child, well, not necessarily new, <laughs> newly accredited yes. child <laughs> advocacy center. Um, I, it's a difficult conversation. These are difficult conversations to have because we're talking about kids and we're talking about some crimes that in some cases are really horrible against them. And ideally, we'd like to stop all of this. But I've been doing these kinds of interviews for a long time, and we haven't made a whole lot of progress in stopping it. But we have made, as you alluded to, uh, 
Rachel, we have made progress in terms of how to help people recover from and deal with these situations. Uh, there was a time, I think, when you know, if this happened to a child, first of all, it probably wouldn't have been reported because it was swept under the rug. And if it was reported, the child would have been so badly traumatized, it probably would have affected the rest of their lives. Right. It may still affect the rest of their lives, but hopefully not at least as severely as it did years ago. We sure hope so. <laughs> the, who, who reports these situations to you? Where do these reports initiate? So law enforcement or CPS brings them forward. Oftentimes a child will disclose to maybe a counselor at school or a friend at school and it'll get passed on to CPS or law enforcement for um, investigation. There are people who are required to report these types of things, uh, health professionals, teachers, <laughs> people such as that uh, yes. who now are, are obligated, which I suppose takes them a little bit off the hook then because the problem used to be that if you reported it well maybe you were tainting somebody for no reason at all you didn't want to paint them with the, the that brush of being an abuser if it turns out that you'd misunderstood something mm -hmm. but now with that requirement in place it probably probably frees them up a little bit i would think well i it, i guess it, it at least gives cps and law enforcement the report which brings them to us and we're able to do the interview and get down to um, what the truth is and now we have new prosecutors so um, we're hoping that these cases that are um, abusive cases are going to be prosecuted as well. How many times does it turn out to be nothing or a misunderstanding? Yeah it's really hard to say. Um, because it really isn't up to us to make that decision. Okay. So what happens is the law enforcement, they do their report and CPS does their report and then they put it to the prosecutor. So the prosecutor is going to be the one that determines whether or not they're going to go forward in, with charges. And how many times, um, what percentage of time does that happen that somebody actually is brought into court for this? At this point, it's been far too low, but um, we do have some new prosecutors that have experience with child advocacy centers. Um, so we're hopeful that they're going to start pushing forward with more. Yeah, it is really good to have a fully staffed prosecutor's so office nice. again, and I hope yeah. that this is one area that uh, that we'll go into. Talk to me then about what happens. You you interview the child. Um, you interview the parents too. At, at this point, who interviews the parents? Uh, there isn't an interview for the parents, but while the child's being interviewed, um, the advocate is with them doing paperwork and just supporting them, talking through um, services and supports that we can offer the family um, afterwards. And um, then they also debrief with uh, our multidisciplinary team afterwards as well. What if the charge is against one or both of the parents? Well, we are meeting with the non-offending parent. Um, the if it's an if there is an offending parent, they are not brought into the child advocacy center at all. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> and if it's both of them, then typically either CPS will um, bring the child in, or they'll have another caregiver bring the child in. Okay, okay, because unfortunately we know that that happens uh, as, as yes. well. What then, how do you follow up on this? Let's say that the situation is going to go to court and the abuser is going to be charged. The point, I understand, of the forensic interview is that the child is not going to have to come into court and testify? 
Well, currently they do. Um, they do at have some to, point. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, right now there's a, a, a house bill that's going through um, 451. They're trying to pass it so that the interview can be played at the preliminary preliminary hearing, preliminary hearing in place of the child <laughs> having to be there for that. Um, honestly, most of across the nation, most of the cases will end at that point because they're going to take a, a plea deal. Okay. Um, so that would really prevent our kiddos from having to get up on the stand and, and um, defend their statements that they made. And then you know, hopefully the situation is resolved at that point, but you mentioned that there's continuing support that the Advocacy Center offers. What kind of support does that take? Uh, what kind of support do we offer? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. So we have our in-house counseling um, that we can refer them to uh, with Copper Shores. And then um, we have uh, our support groups that we offer. We have um, we have all kinds of, uh, depending on what their situation is, I mean, we have gas cards if they needed that in order to come to our center. If their house is not safe, we have things that can help them make their house secure. Um, clothing, clothing items, um, all kinds of things in that, in that realm. Um, you know, just local resources that we can connect them to. And then within Copper Shores, I mean, we have Bridges Out of Poverty that's doing great things that we can connect them to. Had them on um, the show a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have some cool things like that within Copper Shores. Um, mostly local resources and our in-house therapy, or yeah, our in-house um, counselors that is a huge resource for us and our support groups is what we're really excited about now. That is um, the, the book club that's coming up is going to be great. And our craft night that's going with the kids, they're loving that. And we're really excited to be able to offer that to these kiddos. Um, so yeah. Uh, books, journals, different things like that. We like to get in their hands right as they're leaving. Um, whatever it is that in their situation, we feel like they need as they leave. Are you able to keep this confidential? I mean, down the road, you see, uh, you know, kids maybe start talking about going to this place or that place. Is it uh, a problem to kind of keep this on the low, on, on the down low? I think it's very confidential. Um, on our end, it is. I mean, end. whether or not the child yeah, goes well, and tells I'm, people. I'm not questioning yeah. your end of yeah. it. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm questioning the other end of it because people talk mm -hmm. and rumors fly. And particularly well, if you're talking maybe older kids, maybe uh, middle school or high school age, mm -hmm. um, you know, things, things get around. Is it challenging to, to deal with that if it starts happening after the fact? Well, I know our our craft night those kids are a tight little group and they really respect each other um and so i believe that um there is a lot of confidentiality in that group um but you know we can't control what happens when they leave but um you Most know we do our best to yeah. to remind people of the confidentiality piece how long can somebody stay with this program? Let's say I have a child who's early elementary school. Obviously, the effects are going to be there for a while. How long can I take advantage of your services? And it's endless. Okay. Yep. So um, we we house the uh, SACS program and the SANE program. So 
Um, we have funding from the Division of Victim Services to provide ongoing support for people who are m even like an adult that comes forward that was molested as a child. They can receive services as long as they need to. That was going to be my next question. Are there services available for adult victims of child abuse? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, again, 20 years ago, we didn't have these kind of services that you offer and kids were pretty much on their own. So yeah, you were really wouldn't believe how many families that we get in um, where the parent says, wow, I wish this would have happened when I had this happen to me. So they're giving us a lot of good feedback that when they had been assaulted as a child, they a lot of them were saying it was really scary. They had to be in the back of a cop car. Um, this is way better. So, And I suppose many of them, it went through unreported and they went through the entire cycle until it stopped. Yeah. Well, you got to remember, most of the, these kids that are being um, perpetrated against are perpetrated on by people that they know. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, it's somebody who is in their home. Um, so that's another service that we also provide is trying to make sure that they have that safety. So if they need help with um, finding housing and that type of thing, um, we'll walk them through that situation as well. Yeah, I have uh, uh, the Barbara Kettle Gunlock Shelter on frequently, and mm -hmm. I know that they take you know families in in situations such as that, uh, among other organizations that help. But yeah, if it is somebody in the home, you're not only dealing with the, the abuse, but now you're talking about the potential breakup of the home. Mm -hmm. You've got uh, one parent, typically I suppose it's the mother, who is going to be with the child, and the father typically I suppose is the abuser, although I'm sure that's not 100%. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, you've got not only the the child who's traumatized, but you've got maybe no income, you've got no place to live, and uh, that becomes a major challenge in trying to deal with this, and traumatic in and of itself. Mm -hmm. yep. So if somebody is in a, a situation where they think that there's a child who's being molested, whether that be physically, sexually, emotionally counts too, I suppose? Um, yeah, it's going to depend on CPS or law enforcement. We don't get to make that determination. So if CPS wants to do the interview based on um, psychological abuse, then we'll do the interview. Um, but they're the ones who determine whether or not uh, the child needs the interview. But if I see that happening, what steps do I take? What do I do? What do I, do I call law enforcement? Is that my my, my first step there? Yep, yeah, you can call law enforcement or you can report it um, online to the CPS, Child Protective Services. Okay. Um, there's even an online form now before you used to have yeah. to wait on the phone and wait your turn. Um, but now it's a, a lot quicker process and anyone can report. Um, it doesn't have to have your name or anything on it, but as much information as you had on the kid so that um, the police can find them and see what kind of services they might need. Uh, important. You said this can be done anonymously? Yes. Yes. Because I'm sure that there are people who are aware of things who would not want maybe another family member mm -hmm. to know. Right. Uh, or, or would not want uh, a co-worker to know or something like that because, you know, there are situations, I'm sure, where they do the investigation and find out it was a mistake. Mm -hmm. It was a, a misunderstanding. But better safe than sorry? Yes. Correct. We, we need to stick up for our kids, and we need Absolutely. to make sure that they are, are appropriately taken care of. And this is a great service that's being offered now and has been offered for some time again. Mm -hmm. um, one of the services that we didn't talk about is our SANE program, which is our sexual assault nurse examiners. And they, we have three of them currently that are finishing up their um, 
getting all of their credentials. Credentials, there thank you. you. That's what I was looking <laughs> there for. <you> go. <laughs> um, they're just finishing that up. Um, but we'll have three people that can do um, exams on any age at that point. Okay. Um, so they're going to collect any of the physical evidence, um, take photos, uh, make sure that they get the medicine that they might need, and... Um, they can testify in court, that type of thing. So it's a really exciting time for us because we've previously had seen nurses, but they only did adolescents to adults. And now our little people can get their exams up here. Um, previously, we would have to ship them down to Green Bay to get that service. Well, it's good to be able to have that here. And again, it, it lessens the trauma for the child who's going through it. Yes, and of it course, you know, if you can go through this successfully and nail down an abuser, we know that a lot of these abusers go from one child to the next to the next. You cut off that and you've saved another two or three or That's six right. children from having to go through this. The grand opening, the ribbon cutting coming up uh, Thursday as we're... The 29th. And uh, we hope that people will go out and find out what this is about. And if you know of a child who's being abused, call or report to CPS or call law enforcement and make sure that that child is taken care of. And Rachel Lampa and Virginia Lambert, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. And happy birthday again. Happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.